0: I only play that because the tip of the day comes from Perrin Kaplan, who is a principal and co-founder at Zebra Partners, but formerly, and I got to know her when she was a top Nintendo. Of course, that wasn't Pac-Man, but it was good enough because it was gaming. And so her quick tip for us today is every relationship in business may matter at some point. So be kind, be gracious, and be helpful all of the time. I'm Jim Lauterbach, and it's great to have you here. And we'll kick this podcast off with our real intro. live from San Francisco, Auckland, and everywhere in the world. It's time for Inside the Creator Economy, right here on Fireside. I'm Jim Lauderback. Great to have you here.
1: Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? I'm testing out a new mic.
0: Cassie, it sounds great.
1: Does it? Fantastic. I feel like that's all I need to do this week, then. I'll, uh, I'll see you later.
0: <laughs> yeah, all you need to do. You've had actually a little bit of a busy week,
1: haven't you? It's been a 40-hour week and it's only Tuesday. I think there's a country song there somewhere. Yeah, I um, made my television debut last night and it was quite a wild ride and a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, talk about the show that you're doing and talk about the wild ride and talk about what happened.
1: Sure. Back in January, I got asked to be a part of a show that, you know, some folks may have heard about, an American show called The Apprentice. And I was very nervous about being a part of that as an American abroad because of the implications of the fella who originally was renowned or infamous for it but we spent I said yes in the end because I'm in New Zealand and I was promised it's fantastic what you actually just led with us for this gym around kindness and being nice to people and not burning bridges because that's kind of how Kiwis comport themselves in business and in life so this show the apprentice here is a complete rejig of the original template of the show so i spent 35 days straight 16 hours a day with 14 candidates doing the whole apprentice thing where they took on business challenges day in day out and we sat at a boardroom table and fired them (laughs) one by one until we got to the end And let's just say I'm pretty sure I've been painted the ice queen, but I think there'll be some melting as we go on over the next 12 weeks.
0: I think it's great that we were just talking about sort of the whole inside the creator economy stuff and the independence, and we'll talk a lot more about that as it goes along. But you've been working in traditional television and leading the traditional media lifestyle. (laughs)
1: That's right. Working in that traditional sphere, which is hilarious, because most of our friends who I mean, as an expat, most of my friends and colleagues are online, we are on social, we are on different kinds of platforms. And for everybody to kind of go, Oh, my God, how do I get TV on my TV has been one of the funniest conversations I've had over and over this week, because folks are like, Oh, my God, we actually have to like watch a TV show at 830pm on channel one. And I'm like, Yep, that's what we're doing.
0: Okay, so if anybody <laughs> listening wants to watch this TV show, is there anywhere, if you're not in New Zealand or Australia, you can actually see this thing?
1: I mean, unless you're a, a super hacker, I don't think so, not yet, but we're hoping that the show will be picked up in the United States. It's, I mean, we're one episode in and the feedback and the press has been just superb. It's been cutting, it's been funny. So hopefully we'll be able to pick that up in the US soon.
0: Yeah. You put a link up. It was great where uh, somebody was talking about the various different people there and like, oh yeah, the true star of the show. And they were talking about you. So I love that. So go get them.
1: Thank you. I'm going to try. I think I got them, Jim.
0: At least it's a start. So what, it was all about what popcorn, is that it on the first episode or something like that? The first
1: episode was a popcorn challenge. So it was, they put a team of fellas and a team of gals, um, which I have issues with too, splitting splitting up the men and women, but that's what we did. And they had to create kids' brands of popcorn. And the interesting thing that doesn't come across on TV is that while we were shooting this, the contestants had no ability to check anything on the internet. They did not have internet for 35 days so everything they do every number they pull out every brand that they create and these are young people are off the back of experiences that they've had where they can't double check anything they could have spell checked they failed on the spell check on some of their packaging but yeah they both created popcorn brands i tasted both of the popcorns (laughs) we'll just say that they did a good job they tried they tried real hard and um yeah it was it was an interesting experience but you know what Both teams created brands, and these are holistic brands from how they would have shown up in social media through to their pricing structures to um, large kind of conglomerate grocery chains here. And they put together in four to eight hours what some of my teams couldn't have done in months. So I was very proud of them.
0: That's pretty darn cool. Well, let's use that as a springboard to talk about our first story of the day. And this isn't necessarily a news story. It's more of a, a story that gives advice to creators, but really talking about creators and how to approach brands and what happens when brands approach you. I get this all the time. You probably get this all the time as well, where a creator will say, oh, a brand reached out to me and wants me to do a a sponsorship for them. And how much do I charge for that? And, you know, it's a really good question. It's not really easy to answer that. But uh, over at FamePick, they came up with a nice story about how to maximize brand deal value. And a lot of it is about how to maximize your return, how to retain your rights what to charge, how to charge and how it works. And I just thought that it was a very, very helpful, a very, very helpful and interesting story. And by the way, at the end, you know, the the TLDR at the end was, uh, if you don't want to read the whole thing, just double whatever they said, just go at 100% over it. (laughs) And if you counter tell them why don't just list the higher price. Cassie, what'd you think about that as somebody who's worked with creators and worked with brands?
1: You know, I'm with you fully on that. And I also love the end bit there. It's just like, you know what? Go for double and then you can negotiate down. I think that's just good business. And having dealt, having been on the brand side for almost 20 years and having also worked with creators, it's fascinating for me now to be in this position with the TV because... I feel out of place and I'm like, oh my God, how do I follow my own best practice? So this actually was a very timely article, Jim, (laughs) for you to share, because there's been a few things where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to remember this best practice where it's cool that a brand's reached out and it feels really good. It feels like you're being seen. However, you also, especially if you have an established community, you're bringing a whole lot of nows to a deal. So don't cut yourself short.
0: Yeah. And there's good advice in here around things like why they lowball and they're not doing it because they don't think that you're very good, but you know, it might be going, they've got a budget and they're trying to get as many creators as they can. And they've got an intern who's just sort of coming up with stuff and really some good recommendations on how to counter to a brand. So do your homework. How much do they pay influencers? Figure out what their campaign goals are. What's their timeline and rights. Rights are a big deal. Do they want yes. exclusive rights and when are the deliverables? Yeah. Talk about rights for a minute.
1: The rights is one of the biggest parts. I think of my friends who are in the the music industry, right? And rights for them is everything and how they negotiate their contracts with labels and stuff. And And that should be very similar in the way in which creators create. And I know over the past probably more five years, I've had lots of conversations around the contracts and the contractuality of who owns the content where it can go, how long it can stay up, who's actually going to in perpetuity have the rights to reuse it. And it's just so smart. If you're a creator out there and you don't understand the depth of this or how important it is for you to have ownership over your IP, go out and you know, Google the heck out of it, but talk to somebody who knows, because it's really important that again, not only sold short on that you're not sold short on money, but that you're not sold short on your creativity and your output.
0: Exactly. And don't give away the rights to your content because you own it and you can derive value from it down the road as well. Unless they pay you an enormous amount of money and even look at what happened to Taylor Swift. So just keep that in mind.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: You want to move to the next story?
1: Sure, sure. The next story isn't as sexy, but you know, so it's, I really like it because it's kind of real fake and somewhere in between. So it's talking about the creator economy and we're talking about things a lot like NFTs, right? And the importance of communities and who owns us, who owns our essence, who owns what we make. And it kind of just was a little tickle around, you know, with 17 million Americans alone already earning money on their own creations. And that's across the kind of nine major platforms. Leveraging creative talent is something that we're all kind of sold on this bright, flashy light. And we all want that 89, was it $89 million? $69 million NFT like people had, but most people are making about 85 bucks. So is it worth it is what they're saying from, you know, the real side is that, yes, it exists. The fake side is, and I don't know if you'd call it fake, but the fake side is, you know, is it worth all of the effort or is there a better way in which that you can monetize yourself and monetize your art and monetize your content. So I just like thinking through that. It's something my nerd brain thinks about a lot.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that the author points out is that it is very much of a lots of the value accrues to the top 0.5% on these platforms. But what I think is interesting about what we're seeing developing over the next few years, and what we have seen develop is this rise of a middle class of creators. And there's lots of tools and other things that are coming out, not to support just the top creators, but really to focus and help the middle class of creators. And so that's something that you'll hear a lot more as we talk about the creator economy over the coming weeks and months, but really helping creators of all types monetize and build and own those connections. I think that's a really important aspect of this.
1: Yeah. And there's also a mention around scams and influencer fatigue. So there's always somebody who's going to try to rip off somebody else. I know my daughter's got She does little edits. She's in love with um, Jake Gyllenhaal. So she does Jake Gyllenhaal edits and quite often other fan accounts will actually take her content and then reshare it and call it their own. And just to see it through the eyes of a young teenager, she's heartbroken and bereft. So in this day and age, and it's uh, maybe carrying on from what we were talking about earlier, Jim, on on how we can protect ourselves and what we own is there's a whole lot of scam to be aware of and to understand where that fits into this. And then I guess the influencer fatigue is like it talks about super fans, and super fans are always going to go for the community side of things and the person they're following, regardless of channel and platform. But there's just so much. We're all fatigued. There's so much content going on out there.
0: Yeah. And the idea of, for me, for creators of all stripes, but particularly the small and mid sized ones, is. How do you curate, connect, and then make sure that you're over-delivering to your super fans and to your community? So you don't need a community of a million people. What you need is a community that's just right for you and that mm-hmm. you can build a great connection with and then hopefully leverage it and drive value out of it. But the connections between the community and the creator, to me, are the things that need to be watered, nurtured, grown, and you know, ultimately harvested, but not in the way that you remove the plant from the ground i think i just took that analogy way too far
1: i went straight to little shop of horrors
0: (laughs) oh no i know i'm flashing on the dentist (laughs) feed me feed me
1: (laughs) oh so good oh rick moranis where did he go oh
0: god (laughs) but you know i also thought interesting. so this article is in uh forbes was written by sterling campbell mba graduate at columbia business school and uh, he actually worked for Lara Hippo, Charge Ventures and Endeavor. So strong background in, in venture and certainly in talent. I uh, love to work at Lara Hippo. Eric Hippo is one of my early bosses in media. So I know he learned a ton from Eric and that team. So very interesting overview. And he kind of dives a little bit into NFTs and where NFTs are, which seems like we could talk about NFTs for frickin' ever, mm-hmm. but I don't think we have any sense of where they're going at this point.
1: No, no, I'm fascinating, or fascinated by watching everything and where it's headed and how people, you know, it feels like there was a huge talking point, this almost tidal wave that was just about to break, maybe even about a month ago. And now it just feels like folks are waiting. You know, the, the conversations are still similar to how they were a month ago. And I'm curious to see what's going to happen when the waiting ends. Does that
0: make sense? Oh, totally. Well, it's the waiting, but it's also the hard work of building it now. It's like, yeah, great. There's a couple of these big pop-ups that happen, but the hard work of building it is what's going to be really interesting. And that will lead us into the big idea that I think we want to talk about for a little while. But before I do that, I want to open it up and see if anybody wants to come up and talk about maximizing your brand deal value or the sort of concept of real and fake and How creators can actually build on what's not scarcity, what is actually an abundance of stuff. So, if anybody's interested in discussing any of these topics, which I don't see anybody jumping up, so we can jump right into this big. I. Oh, wait. Oh, boys. All right, come on up, boys. All right. Welcome to Inside the Creator Economy, boys. Talk away. What you got?
2: well, I've originally started my own YouTube channel covering Andrew Yang's campaign and I've had some success there uh, just getting off the ground really and really establishing my own name, my brand, I guess you will. It's called the Mindful Skeptics Podcast. Well, now I'm trying to pivot that because he dropped out of the race, you know, so now I'm trying to pivot that into the new thing I'm doing is called the Trickle Up uh, Network is where we're trying to gather other YouTubers and activists and writers to create a new economy, if you will, of our own little gig economy of all of us that work together as a collective as like a network. And I'm struggling with the pivot to starting over with a different demographic, I don't say a a more diverse demographic to reach. And I don't know, I've been making content pretty consistently. And we're we're doing like live streams twice a week. And then I make clips that make daily content. So I have something on that trip and that algorithm every, every day. I'm trying to figure out like, What is my next best move? I just actually made some hats, and I have some demand for that. People are asking, "When you guys gonna make hats?" You know, so I found a small income stream to kind of help support it because I've I've been paying out of my own pocket for a minute. You know, Um, I'm trying to find a way to at least break even and start to excel so I can actually pay people to help me with this workload of doing it all by myself.
0: So I guess the question is, how do I expand my community and then build? on top of the connections with the community, is that right?
2: Yeah, so I have a network of people that are all on board, but they need some leadership. So I'm trying to fulfill that need of organizing everyone together. But the hard part is we're making content, but I'm I'm not really getting enough traffic on the website I've created to kind of own the content, if you will, instead of depending on Google AdSense and YouTube, because, you know, they don't really reward independent up-and-comers. So I'm trying to create a a network within my own website that we can control the, um, have access to the data too for analytics.
1: Mm -hmm. Are you cross-pollinating all of your content across channels and then spending a lot of time just kind of bantering and going back and forth with, because again, and I know we just kind of mentioned it, it's finding out who those super fans are, right? The super engaged, and they might already be the community members that are part of the trickle up already. Because if people want hats, man, like that's actually a pretty cool little bit of social proof, right? So are you really nurturing that community across channel and across platform? Are people wanting to go to a website or would they be more comfortable in app on like a different kind of social channel?
2: Well, right now I just built the website as a place to kind of give everybody a home to cross promote each other and cross pollinate to so say, okay, if you come for this channel and they have links to the website then you can discover 10, 15, 20 other people are doing something similar. That might be your style better or whatnot, just for some cross promoting. But we have the YouTube channel and uh, you know, all the other social media business, but we're, we're trying to, we do cross pollinate within our live stream as well. We just do, we do daily news is what we're trying to compete with the hill and the young Turks. If you guys know who they are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I used to work mm-hmm. with the young Turks all the time. So there's a <laughs> demand for independent media because people don't trust corporately sponsored media. So I said, this is the opportunity. This is the time let's do this. And so that's what I'm trying to find my own lane in that, in that supply and demand of independent media uh, from different sources.
0: Well, I've got a couple of ideas for you and maybe Cassie, that an idea or two as well. And then we're going to move on. But so my, first of all, Look at the video platforms as ways to connect and build your audience, but don't think about a website as a place to own that audience. You're doing the right things, which is thinking, how do I own my audience? How do I own my connection with my audience? the web may not be the best place for it. There are other places where you may be able to build something that feels more digital native than just a website. So for example, I'm not saying Mighty Networks is the right place to go or Discord or Patreon or some of the other places where you can own the connections with your audience, but there are some really good places out there that you can do that. And then the second is trying to compete on YouTube with something like what you're trying to do might be, you know, there's just a lot of stuff on YouTube I would encourage you to look at some of the more emerging platforms. So you're here, which is great. Obviously, you're thinking about that. But, you know, people are starting to do really interesting things with news on TikTok. There's HiHo is coming out as an interesting platform. There's Rizzle. There's a bunch of interesting platforms that you might be able to jump on and build a pole position on because it just won't be as crowded. So there's a couple things to think about. You got to close, Cassie.
1: You know, I tell Toko that I write with you there, Jim, and I'd also say like it sounds, you know, and this might be the old millennial in me voice, but you can do similar things like that, even just within apps like the old school threads on LinkedIn. So the way that I've been able to spread a whole lot of love and cross-pollinate ideas and media has been you start and you ask, it's old school, right? You ask a question and then you get the community talking and self-moderating and it goes, and then people don't have to leave and go to a website. I understand the whole um, data collection side of things and how you want to own that space. But yes, as Jim said, you can either go to the places that are less crowded or you can lean into something that already exists where communities could already go beyond your primary audience and go secondary and tertiary just by having contextual conversations.
0: Yeah, really great stuff. And boys, thanks for joining us. We're going to jump to our big idea. We'll have more opportunities for people to come in and comment as we ease into that conversations. So it's time now for our big idea. So this big idea comes to us from Rex Woodbury. who's an investor at Index Ventures and uh, writes the digital native on Substack. Really interesting for him. We're in the middle of this transition from Web 2.0 to Web 3. And Web 2.0 was all about platforms, all about middlemen, all about, and the platforms made the money. So as Boyce was saying, you know, he's trying to do stuff on YouTube and YouTube owns his audience. He's trying to do things on these platforms and they own it. And he wants to own his audience. Well, that is what Web 3.0 is all about. There are all of these different threads that he's pulling together from the disaggregation of work, really looking at, we are shifting now from consumption to creation. We're about winning back the ownership of our connections to our audience. Which I think is really important. He weaves in digital economies and NFTs. He talks about metaverse and decentralization. I want to talk just a little bit about winning back that ownership because the platforms today own your audience. They own you. They own your connection to that audience. And indeed, Web3 is all about taking that back. Cassie, what did you think about that?
1: I love this. In fact, I got a little bit lost in this article when I was reading through it last night, but that might have been the cognac. (laughs) But the winning back is it's the beauty and it's where things have to go, because I think at the beginning of social media, At the beginning of the building of the communities, there was this like sweet sugar fix of, wow, I've really created this group of people who either, you know, find value in what I'm doing or I find value in what they're doing. And then there was a big like kick in the gut, wasn't there, about five or ten years ago where you're like, oh... That's not my community. And I'm also not the one who's reaping any benefit off of the back of this. So this retaking up, this taking up space again in your own kind of ownership of your community and being a part of something that's bigger that isn't owned is like, I don't know, to me, it feels really neat and it feels like the natural next step.
2: Yeah,
0: I agree with you. I think we're moving from public to private communities, and I think that is actually a really good thing in many ways because it allows you to kick out the trolls and allow the people that really want to be there to be there, and it lets you monetize and take advantage of it. You don't want to not have a public community, but I do think you really want to be able to have your own private community or communities that you can leverage and make money on and build deeper connections with your audience on. And I think this is exactly what Boyce is coming up with and struggling with as well. Some of the things that he talked specifically about that I, I just wanna to touch on if you don't mind. First he said, we're all digital natives, which totally agree, right? Like Taylor Swift, he points out, we're talking about you know, how it was the mall and now it's the internet. And if you think about it, so much of the world is online. We're all digital natives and the younger you are, the more likely that the internet itself and the communities there and the locations and the, the destinations are your mall. So you know the, the teens today aren't hanging out at the mall. They're hanging out at Fortnite. They're hanging out on Discord. They're hanging out in so many different places, but they're not hanging out in physical spaces as much. So we're kind of moving to a digital first species. I thought that was really interesting.
1: I thought that was interesting too, but it made me kind of sad because he mentioned, you know, that wafting smell of the Cinnabon and getting lost in like a cologne-drenched Abercrombie and Fitch. And I was like, yeah, I was there, man. I loved those days.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you don't go to the mall anymore. So, you know, you're beyond that anyway. I have not
1: been to a mall in years, no.
0: (laughs) The next thing that he brings up is kind of disaggregation of work, which I think we all see, which is moving from, you know, working for somebody to being a freelancer to working in the gig economy. And the Internet's really enabled these different career paths, which I totally get. That behavior shift is absolutely happening where you can be a language tutor, you can be an expert teacher, you can be a game streamer, you can be a personal shopper, all those things you can do and make money and not have to work for the man.
1: That's true. You know, one of the questions I fear most in life is when people say, what do you do? Because it's like, oh, shit, I don't want to say what don't I do. But that's when you're in this economy and kind of I came of age during this is I can't just, you know, throw out a single title and say, this is what I do. And I like this. I like the disaggregation work because what it does is it, it almost allows us to be nuanced individuals. It allows us to do different things and then support our lives and our families at things that aren't just so, I guess, myopic and singular.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it, it allows you to really control your own destiny, which again, ties back to, I wanna own my community so I can control my own destiny the next thing he talked about, uh, which is this movement from consumption to creation, which I love, and he ties it into the sort of how we have these new ways of building, whether it's apps or games or content or whatever, without having to really... Do it from scratch. You want to create a game. You don't have to program a game engine and all the things you need to do to build a video game. Just do it on Minecraft. Do it on Roblox. On the business app side, you've got a wide variety of things from Airtable to a bunch of others that allow you to do that. Even making content. I mean, look, the value of TikTok is, yes, the algorithm, and it's, yes, the audience, and it's, yes, the way it brings things together but the real value to me are the tools and the things that they allow you to do and how easy it is to make video. Like, have you done a duo on TikTok? It would be incredibly difficult to do that in Premiere, but TikTok just makes it like, yeah, I can do a duo just like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's just, I don't know. I'm just as tickled as you are about how easy it is now to create because it did seem like for a while that it was just the folks who could pull together some really really whiz bang things that were getting noticed but all the tools are there all of the ways to edit to create to tell stories to make music to do all of this it's beautiful and I love creating content, telling stories. So this is right in my wheelhouse, Jim. I absolutely love this.
0: Well, even on top of that, being able to build companies, right? Whether it's web services or Stripe or other ways to build a company. And you can do that much more easily as well. So in the end, if you are a creator and you want to create, there's so many different things that are helping to make it easy. Now, there's also a lot of things you have to wade through to figure it out, but mm-hmm. that's definitely, that's a strong trend that's only growing. I was you know, talking to some folks today who were building a sort of a, a virtual platform and they were building it out for a certain task and it didn't work that well. And they kind of like bailed out of it. And they were trying to say like, like, what do we own? You know, we hired this developer to build code for us. And it's like, we're not doing it, but do they own the code? Do we own the code? Who owns the IP? And I'm like, You know what, all that money you spent, you own the expertise of thinking about what you want to build because when you try it next year, it's going to be easier. The tools are going to be better. And you may even be able to build this virtual world yourself without having to go and pay somebody else to do it. So in the end, every year passes by, it's easier and easier to build some of these really cool things. And I'm psyched to see what we're going to be able to build without having to be a programmer or an avid editor to be able to make it happen.
1: Yeah. And it feels like off the back of that, we only really are then limited by the scope of our imagination. And I know it sounds silly, but like, if you can kind of dream it up and set those goals, whether they're, you know, content creator goals, community goals, business goals, if you can think those through and you have a little bit of a a fix now, just as you said, Jim, imagine what it's going to be next year when you're going to have an app that's going to be able to do that. You know, I think of way, you know, what a decade ago when it was hard to put things online and sell them. And now there are how many different intermediaries where you can just get online, figure out what you want to sell, whatever retail good it's going to be. And it's there. You've got to shop in minutes. It's just we're only limited by our creativity, I think, as we move forward.
0: Yeah, and even the fact about communities, there are so many different communities out there, all these small communities, niche communities, whether it's, you know, the millions of Discord servers or all the subreddits or all the talks. I mean, there's like everything and in interest now as a talk from DIY talk to news talk to, you know, all on TikTok. So that there are all these really interesting ways for you to go out and find your communities and find the right communities to tie into it. So, if at first you don't find a community, keep looking because you will find the places that relate to you. And if you become a valuable member of that community, you can start to claim that community or parts of it as your own community.
1: That's right. That's right. Love it.
0: And then, you know, they talk a little bit about business model innovation, where the reason why gaming is so much bigger than streaming video is because they allow you to do all these different aspects of digital commerce inside, and that it's moving beyond gaming from, you know, Bumble, Coin, and Duolingo's gems and Twitch bits and things like that, and then really tying into NFTs. And so, Again, like I said, we could talk about NFTs for hours, but really interesting aspects of how the blockchain and NFTs and digital and contracts are really allowing this to happen, really allowing this sort of environment to be built.
1: Yeah, I love this. Not being in the States, I didn't really see all of the talk around the Dogecoin and all of the (laughs) things that that happened this last week. But I know when we were... um, on set filming The Apprentice here in New Zealand, that everybody, like everybody from the soundies to the camera ops to the contestants, were talking about this the digital economies, the NFTs, where we're going. And here in New Zealand, I think we settled on Goose Coin. We're just going <laughs> to go find some geese, rustle them up, and see what we can get for them.
0: Goose Coin. Couldn't you have come up with something that felt a little bit more New Zealand special?
1: I mean, Kiwi Coin would have made sense. It's probably uh, but they taken. went for Goose. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know. You guys have a lot of strange animals out there. Come on. It could be something besides a kiwi, right?
1: It could be a kiwi. It could be a pukeko. It could be a tui. could be anything, really.
0: I like tui coin because it's small. It's only three letters, right? T-U-I?
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Here first, tui coin. Anybody want to talk about um, the sort of intersection of all these different trends as they lead to Web 3? I think I'll wrap it up just by saying, by the way, put your hand up and come on up on stage, by saying that I remember the transition from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0, and it was a dramatic and incredible transition. And remember, like, the Web 2.0 conference that they put together. And really, this was the rise of Facebook and YouTube and, and all of these platforms that were interactive and connecting versus just the static one-way web pages of Web 1.0. I buy into the fact that this is going to be as big a transition for the web, for digital, for all of us, for creators, as what we saw from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0. Cassie, do you
1: buy that? Uh, (laughs) Can I say I'm on? I I remember that kind of shift as well. So I don't know if it's going to be a slide. I don't know if it's going to be pretty. I don't know. I don't know, Jim, you know me. I like to just buckle up and get going.
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be a big deal. And I think the transition to Web3 is going to be a rocky one, but it's also going to be one that's going to create yeah. tremendous opportunity.
1: It felt like when Web1, 1.0 and Web 2.0 were happening, like like you said, we had conferences, we had you know full on keynotes, we had just so much information. And now it just feels like. This is the real deal. This is, it's not only the rocky wild ride, but it's going to take some time and that's okay. We just have to, again, belt up and, and build it together.
0: And find the opportunities and lean into them and and be willing that's to right. fail because just as, you know, I think about Phil DeFranco or a lot of the early YouTubers who just woke up one day and said, I'm just going to start a YouTube channel. I don't know what it's going to be. And I don't have no friends, no followers, no fans, but I'm just going to do it. And built a really big presence, big company and built a career many more opportunities out there now but there's going to be a lot of fits and starts so don't be afraid to fit and
1: start that's right and that should just be a life motto right across all things we could talk about failure for a long time jim i've been to some really good therapy but failure wasn't even a word really in our language until the 1920s yeah, um, and, and it,
0: I was just going to say, and now it ties back to the show you're doing, you're going to have what, 13 failures in one winner, or maybe it's 12 in one winner. I don't know. But you're kind of uh, immersed in making failure happen. How do you feel about that?
1: You know, I'm okay with it because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a contestant. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with it because we keep saying this. This is the ethos. Is it's not a failure. They won. Every single one of those contestants won when they put their hand up to go on an unknown Older style TV show in front of a tiny little, you know, New Zealand's small. So they're in front of their friends and their families and their potential colleagues. So they won the second that they got chosen to be cast for the show. Yeah. So I, I don't believe in failure. I didn't tell any of them they'd failed. I'm just a proud mama.
0: All right. All right. All right. From that, from proud mama to news, we're going to jump into our news hits.
1: Bom, 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 bom.
0: Time now for quick news hits on Inside the Creator Economy. How do you like that voice? Is that a good voice? That's
1: a good voice, Jim. that's,
0: That's my news anchor voice. It's time now for the news of the day. Actually, it's time now for the news of the podcast. Cassie, would you like to take the first story?
1: I will take the first story. The quick story. Uh, poll: A poll is out that says nearly two-thirds of Americans think that social media platforms are tearing us apart. And this comes straight from the zero people on the planet are surprised by the poll results. But also, like my little social media love and heart, man, it still just breaks. 64% of Americans think that social media platforms do more to divide us And that includes majorities of Republicans, which is 77%, independents, 65%, and Democrats, 54%, as well as the majority of white people, 70%, Latinos, 56%, young adults, 61%, and seniors. So 71% of seniors think that social media is dividing us, which by contrast, 27% of adults think they're bringing us together. So, you know, reading this, quick news how can we change this for the better? I would love to flip this and just shine a light on the good.
0: Well, the way we do it is we agree that Web 2.0 is uh, failing and we move to Web 3. That's it. That's how we do it. Ba, ba, ba. Ba, ba, ba. How do you like how we tied that together? Uh, let's move on to our <laughs> second story. YouTube has just did their 10th Brandcast. and Brandcast, they present and talk about all the new things that they're working on. It's kind of an upfront, but for YouTube, for the platform and this one was really focused as most of them are on new tools for advertisers. And what I thought was really interesting was their brand extensions part where you'll be, YouTube has moved to television and they all talk about television glass and people watching more and more YouTube on television glass, which is happening. What they rolled out is an ability for you to watch an ad on television glass and click something and have it actually go right to your phone. Cause they know who you are. They know what your phone number is. They know how to do that. So indicate interest and it doesn't interrupt your viewing experience, but it does allow you to go deeper into whatever that thing was that was advertised or discussed or talked about. Is this the first time that we're really going to be able to connect the television to the digital world in a seamless way? I don't know, but it's good to see people are still working on it.
1: It feels like second screenings getting a second wind.
0: The second screening in a second. I don't know what it is. People have trying to solve this for a while. The only one that really ever worked was when during that Star Trek convention, you were able to, or Star Trek marathon, you were able to order pizza. That's the example everyone always uses in there. It just hasn't been another one yet. So
1: You want to know a cool one in a similar way? In New Zealand, um, right as COVID was starting to hit, we have a tracer app so that you can log into every place you've been and we can do contact tracing. We had a marathon run and people ran in full hazmat contact tracing suits for the entire marathon so every runner could check in as they were going.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. The hazmat suit. Okay, what's our third story, Cassie?
1: Our third story. Oh, there is a good, is a good lead into little New Zealand. This one made me giggle. So I wanted to share it. So the headline here is teens steal 100 Mazdas or as they say New Zealand Mazdas in a social media challenge. And this is what police believe. So you can imagine in a very small little town in uh, rural New Zealand, a group of 30 teenagers, some as young as 13 are believed to be responsible for stealing more than a hundred Mazda cars since January. And this is off the back of a social media challenge and this has just taken New Zealand by storm. And it just made me giggle. And it shows the actual power of social media. And if we talk about the good and the bad and the funny, I think this kind of straddles all three.
0: I read that story and it talked about most of them. the Mazdas were Nana cars. What the heck is a Nana car?
1: A Nana car is if you picture something that your grandma would drive and then make it even older and more nerdy and boring, that's your na- It's like a Fred Flintstone car for 2021.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. So I had a Mazda. Miata for like 25 years, I guess. Well, maybe it is a Nana car now, but I guess you're more thinking about those old and rusty four-door, uh, maybe with the rotary Wankel engine, right?
1: They're just kind of like, you know, those cube cars that don't really have a lot of personality, but they've got a little, you know, they're kind of like wind-up cars. I think your Mazda Miata would actually be considered quite sexy and considering putting it side by side with a Nana car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here's that. ultimately, seriously, the reaction for me on this story is social media challenges are fine, but are we going a little bit too far with them? And maybe they're just an intelligence test. And your IQ test, if you follow a social media challenge, that's likely to get you dead or in jail means maybe you should be looking at yourself in a mirror. I'll put it that way.
1: Did you guys have the potato chips challenge where people were going around grocery stores and setting potato chips on fire
0: maybe but it doesn't ring a bell what happened there
1: i mean this sounds like new zealand is just a rollicking ride of challenges that aren't very nice stealing cars and setting it was a tiktok challenge gone wrong it was in the newspapers i think two or three days ago here that a grocery store actually started to go up in flames because the challenge was to go in and set a bag of potato chips on fire and film it and some kids forgot to put the fire out
0: it's like you guys have nothing to do on that island (laughs)
1: We are definitely taking our freedom (laughs) a little bit too (laughs) lackadaisily.
0: Okay. We're going to bring it back to the creator economy here for a minute with our last story of the day, which is the talk about TikTok. Say that three times fast. TikTok is expanding its SDK for third party developers, allowing them to integrate with login, with sound, and some other things. The reason why I think this is important, it's not a sexy story, but it shows that TikTok is building itself into the fabric of the internet, the mobile apps, and what else is out there. TikTok has been isolated and in and of itself for a long time. There isn't really an API you can access, there aren't ways that you can get in and get data out of it. I really like the idea that TikTok is going to become a more full fledged member of the Web 2.0 world. Okay but the internet at large, because there's a lot that I think TikTok has to offer to the rest of the social web. So well done, TikTok.
1: Yep, I like that. I think um, I love that the first example that they have of the integration is with a dating app called Snack. And um, if, if anything is going to be that first kind of marriage of simplicity here, it's going to be a dating app called Snack and TikTok.
0: I think you need a snack after potato chips on fire and snack dating and, and nanocars. Um, is it lunchtime there? Is that what
1: it is? It is actually lunchtime.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, well, well, Cassie's a little bit peckish. I don't think we have anything more to talk about today unless, Cassie, you got anything else you want to talk about?
1: No, no. I love our, our little weekly chats, Jim. And just, I guess, if anybody else down in the audience wants to have a natter.
0: Yeah. Anybody else want to comment on anything that we've talked about or come up and say hello or anything else you have now is your last chance. And uh, with that, oops, wait a minute. Boyce wants to come up. Sad music not going away yet. Okay, Boyce, come on up. Chat with us again. That'd be awesome.
2: Uh, how do I find more information on this web 3.0? On the
0: web 3.0, the story you should do is search on the web for Rex Woodbury, W-O-O-D-B-U-R-Y. And digital native is the name of his newsletter at Substack or whatever he yeah. calls it. I don't know what they call him.
1: Digitalnative.substack.com.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Cassie. <laughs> it's good stuff. And, and also, if you go up on LinkedIn and you look, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Just look at Jim Lauderback, J B. And I write about this stuff every week. A lot of what we talk about here in this podcast comes directly from the newsletter that I write the Thursday or Friday before. So that's another good place to find out more information on everything we've talked about. Anything else, boys? Anything else you want to chat about?
2: No, I'm just uh, trying to, you know, copy the success of other successful people and see what works for me. gathering all this information and trying to find my own lane.
0: Cool. Well, a lot of good stuff here. We're definitely happy to help. And There'll be a lot of others we're, we will eventually bring on guests who will probably know a heck of a lot more about this than we do. So keep in touch. We're here every Monday at 4 p.m. California time, except last Monday because I went on vacation and I, I apologize. But anyway, we'll, we're here every Monday. And with that, I'm bringing the sad music back. Because that's the end of this week's Inside the Creator Economy. For Cassie Roma, I'm Jim Lauterbach.